2: What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday night. The, the staple show is live on your Wednesday at 7.30. We're on time, kind of, a minute late. Uh, we've been we've been good recently, Ryan. We've been a little bit early, so uh, I think people will give us a little leeway. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. He is my co-host, Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino, and we are joined tonight by a first-timer, Ashley Holder. I was so excited you you kind of uh channel two, uh sports mm-hmm. reporter, uh anchor over there. Um, new in town in July. We're gonna get into all that kind of stuff. But you'd commented on, on one of our posts last week and I was like, Man, how have we not had actually on the show yet? So thank you so much for for joining us. Thanks for giving me an invite. Look, I, I told
3: Rhino already, I was like, Man, two goats, like I'm excited.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, one goat. Um I'll, I'll give Ryan. Two a goat. Hammer. A
3: hammer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh I don't know. Um <laughs> All right. So let's get this thing started. Before we get too much into it, we always got to take care of a little housekeeping. The Shout Football Podcast is brought to you by Tops, your your neighborhood store with more. I know we have so many um, uh, dedicated fans that look forward to you know the Tops commercials. We'll we'll bring those to you halfway <laughs> this to the show. So stay with us. Um, Ashley, you started covering the team in well the Buffalo market, but the, you know the Bills as well. In July, you, you moved up here from Carolina. Uh tell us a little bit about why you decided to make the move and what your impressions have been in Buffalo in your you know first six, seven months.
3: Yeah. Um, well, I came from CBS Sports where I was sidelining and I was doing a lot of Mac conference. Um, so a little bit of the smaller conferences. I was there for about a year, so that was pretty cool. And then obviously the pandemic happened and it was a lot of different changes and things like that. So I saw this job and um, we made contact with each other and it just seemed like a great market. It seemed like a great, obviously the bills were on the rise. So it was, it just was interesting. And I wanted to, you know, check it out and not get to come to Buffalo, but I got to research it and see about the city and the team and just the UB, just other things that I wasn't aware of. So when I'm originally from New York, so um, you know, it's Long Island. It's, it's, close enough. So, um, it just seemed like a great opportunity and after I talked to people, people were awesome there. So, it just seemed like a great opportunity and you can't really pass that type of stuff up.
0: And, and um, Buffalo's really lucky to have you. Uh thanks. but yeah, but but going back to the sideline reporting, did, did you have any kind of uh is there anything that you miss, I guess, about that from where what you're doing now?
3: Oh yeah, the first thing I miss is that when the game hits zero, I do my post game and I'm done. That's it. <laughs> That's probably the most thing that I missed out of it because, you know, in local TV, you work so much longer afterwards uh, doing stuff. But that's probably the the most thing I miss. And then I also miss just being right because of the pandemic. I miss being like right in this in the middle of everything. Like when you're sidelining, you get to be in those huddles. You get to be right on the sideline. You're hearing what those guys are saying. It's just it gives you a different perspective than even when you're up in the press box. So I, I do miss that part of, of the sidelining and little things of like getting to meet with the coordinators every week and the coaches and players and really get that one-on-one time. That's one thing I super miss with this pandemic and moving to Buffalo, because you hear about Bill's Mafia, you hear about them getting going on the tables, I guess it's the chairs and the tables. And <laughs> I've never seen it and I don't know about it and I wanna experience it. And I'm like, man, I can't get that until next year. So.
1: It's like, I don't want to
3: rush this year, but I'm super excited to actually see a real game in person with all the fans because you hear that they really have one of the best like fan markets here.
2: That's, it's so great that you bring that up because in such a weird year with COVID to start covering an NFL football team in this environment has to be so strange because first and foremost, I mean, we've talked about in the show, you know, part of our jobs as reporters is developing a rapport and a relationship with players and, um, this year, it, you know, we, we've been having Zoom conferences and they're, and they're great and everything, but it's just a completely different dynamic. And then to not have that attachment to the game experience as well. I mean, we're covering the road games from um, our, our living rooms and in our, in our basements and it's it's just a completely different dynamic. But for you, starting from scratch here and then, you know, add those elements in, it's got to be kind of frustrating at times.
3: Oh, for sure. And that's my biggest thing as being a reporter. I love the relationships. I love building relationships with everybody that I'm around. So the fact that you don't get the chance to do that, or even can even walk around the field and see all the position groups and what everybody's doing is is super hard. A lot of people I work with, I don't think I will even know everybody until sometime next year. Mm. I mean, there's people I'm, I'm emailing them. I'm I'm texting them. I have no idea who they are, (laughs) but I'm like, well, one day I guess we'll meet. So it's it's very interesting, but um, it's a, it's easier than I thought it would be. If that makes sense, like it's still hard, but it's not as bad as I thought it would be. It's the constant, like with the COVID numbers going up and down. If you can go in studio, or if you're, or if we have to broadcast from home and stuff like that, it's the back and forth that probably gets the most frustrating.
1: Because I I'm
3: a person that loves to be in the studio. Like I live for my six pack behind the wall, and like you know, being able to move and do different things. So like when I'm at home. It's just, it's a way different. It's hard for me to work from home. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a TV buff. Like, I'm watching TV, movies, everything. I cannot concentrate at home. Like, What's
2: your favorite? What, wh- give me a couple TV recommendations. We just, um <laughs> we figured, we just finished Outside, The Outsider on HBO. It I was all was right. Good. It kind of nosedived near the end. I heard The Undoing this-
3: was good, too, on HBO. That too. was good, too. Was, that was good
2: that was good too but i don't know like both of them i think part of the problem for me on hbo is game of thrones was this enthralling epic that now everything that i watch i'm just kind of like and there was a season of true detective that was so unbelievably amazing on hbo that when things don't live up to the hype it kind of bums me out but what are you watching right now what's, what's i never
3: got to into to game of thrones, thrones, thrones i will say that but um okay so it depends what i'm feeling like first of all, i love reality tv so i'm watching my okay. land house oh. Fizer, Pot- potomac all that but then if i want to cry i'm watching Grey's Anatomy. This is us you know what I mean it depends how I'm feeling that day I love true show like true detective shows like you said um I still love first 48 like I really feel like if I wasn't a reporter I would be a lawyer but I can see I love Law and Order SVU but I don't know if I'd be an actor or if I wanted to be like a detective I can't figure out which one it is but I I mean I live for TV like I'm on Netflix and I love The Office I've watched it 10 times but I can t- I can continuously watch it like I just watched. Oh my gosh, Ryan! I watched the episode where uh, they showed after Super Bowl when Dwight had started the fire. Like, yes, the, uh, I think that's the most classic episode I've ever seen. I mean, it's hilarious. Like, I watched four episodes yesterday. It was crazy, and I watch them like I've never seen them before.
0: Right there with you. I, I binge it all the time. My kids are sick of it. My wife's sick of it. It's like you're watching that again. Yeah, it's moving to yeah. it's moving off Netflix soon. I have to get it I'm all not- in oh, yeah. as much as possible.
3: Yeah, I was mad they took Dave Chappelle off so quick cuz I didn't even get to like my, my favorite episodes of Dave Chappelle. So like, I don't know I me. Mean, I could I literally I'm watching everything like I wa- I can watch the one thing one side of the spectrum all the way to the other. But I live for TV like that's pretty much what I, I know that sounds bad but that's pretty
2: much what No, I am I'm, I'm there with you. Yeah, when when yeah. COVID when COVID's over, we'll all go to Marcel's place and make him watch The Office and make mm-hmm. him just accept the yeah, amazingness he's, he's that funny. is The Office. Dude, there's, a lot, there's not a lot of things I don't like about that guy. He's, like, one of my favorite yeah. people. And, bro, get on it. All right. We, gotta, yeah, just, we, gotta, we, gotta we got to marathon this thing. We'll figure yeah, it out. That's, but that's another topic for another yeah. day. All right. Let's get to the bills a little bit here. Um, huge week for Josh Allen. Uh, I just put up a story at the site. Go check it out. Syracuse.com, New York Upstate. The title being, put Josh Allen in your MVP conversation or stay out of it. Because there's this, this narrative is still kind of you know, perpetuating itself across the internet. There was a Mel Kiper um, bit today where he just got up on his, he got up on that soapbox and he brought all his receipts with him to ESPN morning show. And he just started going off about like, I've been on the Josh Allen train since back before at Wyoming and guys were kind of like laughing at him. And I think that that's kind of what inspired the piece is that I think there's still people that look at Josh Allen in with these, you know, glasses that have all these foggy pieces from all of these years of slights that he's taken and jabs that he's taken and that kind of stick. So you came here in July and and you probably had some type of pre-established notion of who Josh Allen was, and then you've seen what you've seen up close the last couple of months. So take me through that. Where were you when you got here and where are you now on Josh Allen?
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of interesting because when I got here, I. I knew who Josh Allen was, but I, I didn't pay that much attention to Josh Allen, honestly. And um, I But I was kind of one of those people that probably didn't watch the Bills or pay attention to them as much um, unless you were kind of maybe around the area or covering them, uh, obviously, because I came from Carolina where I was covering the Panthers, and we obviously did not really play them at all besides joint practices we're talking about. So I, I was impressed. I already knew he was a good quarterback, but I think over these last couple of games, he's just truly impressed me. I do believe what you're saying. I do think he's had an MVP type season and his, he should be in the talks. But to me, he just gets better and better each game, like his decision making. He has some incredible throws that that we've been able to see, you know, against the 49ers. What he had drives of like 77, 74, 75 yards, you know, and he only threw eight incompletions. You know what I'm saying? Out of 40 attempts. So that's huge and didn't turn the ball over. You know, he looks like a superstar in, in every in every aspect to me that when you're watching him, you know what I mean? And the turnovers, some turnovers and and things like that are, they're going to happen. Like, you know what I mean? No one, no one is perfect, but I think he's just such a great face of this franchise. And honestly, he does remind me personally, a little bit of a Cam Newton, because the way he's able to run and the way he moves on his feet and the way that he slides, I don't know why, but I see Cam sometimes. And when I think about, I know we'll get into, but when I think about uh, Sean McDermott and what he's been able to do with Josh to me Sean coming working with Ron and being the way they've been able to do this is like you know Rivera got his first round quarterback all right now Sean's got his first round quarterback then he got his first round backer in Luke keekley now he's got his first his first round backer in Tremaine Edmonds and uh and then you have your coach so to me it's like this type of golden triangle type of thing. and I feel like it's almost a another era of kind of what that Height of like pillar was on the round at twenty fifteen. You get what I'm saying? Era oh. when they went to the Super Bowl. You,
0: you know, based on the success we've seen this year from Josh Allen, one thing that the offense has done is they've been very pass heavy. In your opinion, do the Bills need to find more balance by by the playoffs, or is this a recipe that could work going into January with Josh Allen throwing it and the running backs maybe getting eight nine touches a piece?
3: Well, I mean. 14 weeks, it it seemed to work for them right now. So, you know, it's almost like if it ain't broke, don't, you know, why change it? But I do think as far as the playoffs, I do think those, the run game is going to hold them back as well as their run defense at the same time. I mean, you look at these these caliber teams, they're able, you know, unfortunately, I want to say you look at the Chiefs, they're able to run it. They're able to throw the ball. And those are areas of concern that I'm actually pretty worried about. For them, when they want to make these deep runs in the playoffs, because I had high hopes for Devin Singletary going into this, this mm-hmm. season, like, I was like, "Man, this dude is gonna he's gonna kill it!" Like, and then we're watching them maybe average three yards per carry, and I don't feel like those expectations have been met whatsoever. Zach Moss is a rookie, yes, but I just don't feel like we're getting much out of them. Yeah, you get spurts, but we don't get long. Like, we're not. We've gotten one game that we've talked about them really being able to do a good job, and um. I'm just I'm kind of upset with the run game. I'm not gonna lie.
2: Yeah, I think if you look at you know one of the biggest changes from from last year to this year has been the emphasis put on the passing game. So I think like a natural um, adjustment period it was to be expected. But I think to your point, it's like you're 12 games into the season now. Finding that balance there, especially when you, when you, you just take the last game, for instance, there was two or three runs there where that looked like the Devin Singletary that we saw a lot last season. It looked like he was explosive, even after the injury, the way that he made guys miss cutting up field, hitting, making a move, hitting a hole, and then darting up field and making a play. And he did that a couple of times the other night. You want to see more of that with a ball in his hands. But at the same time, I do kind of see, I mean, Ryan, I'll let you touch on this. It's tough to, I th- and Devin's talked about this, tough to get in a rhythm when you're not getting the kind of looks that, you, that you're that you accustomed to. And with the way that this passing game is going, I just don't know if there's enough balls to go around.
0: Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a fair justification. And, and if you look, last year when he came back from his injury, he was getting the, the workload. Frank Gore then moved to the, the back seat, and he was getting double-digit carries every single week uh, because he was the main guy. And now you know Frank Gore leaves, goes to the Jets, you bring in a rookie and Zach Moss. And and it's a split timeshare, and that makes things really difficult because neither guy can get into a rhythm necessarily. You're going one or two series with one guy, then then alternating back. So it, it's definitely hard to get into that rhythm. Um, I did think singletary flash, though, like you guys said, against the 49ers, even uh, even as a receiver, he caught one ball where uh he dodged or eluded a tackler and they end up getting eight or nine on the play. So The flashes and the spurts are there, but we we need to see a little bit more from them. But like Ashley said, how do you go away from the pass game with with the success that we've seen over 14 weeks?
3: But it just Devin Singletary is a receiver because he's so small to me. He's just like, hey, that's going to work just here and there. You definitely can't run that that too much. But I I hope to see in the last couple of games, in the regular season at least, um, him try and find a rhythm because – you do know it's hard to share the ball right now with the way that this offensive core looks. So it's almost like you have to find a way you got to find a way to stand out. So you got to make every time you get the ball count.
2: Yeah, indeed. All right. So this is the Buffalo bills football podcast. If you're just joining us right now, Ashley Holder from channel two is our guest. We're going to have Bruce Nolan from the Bruce exclusive podcast later in the episode. And we're talking bills. We're talking expectations where the bills sit here and we're get, we're closing in on the playoffs here. I think the, uh, Ryan, you're going to put up something on the site about this tomorrow. Uh, 538's current playoff odds for the Bills set at about 96%, 91% chance to win the AFC East. So, you know, it's we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but it really is time to turn the page a little bit. And one question I, I want to dive into a little bit with you tonight here, Ashley, 12 games in and, and getting a good idea of what this team looks like and a couple pieces that have been missing. You know, you think of John Brown, Matt Milano, other than Josh Allen, who is like the player that I feel like if the Bills lose, it's the most irreplaceable player in your eyes. I, th- I think we all have some thoughts on this,
3: right? Well, I—I I mean, I gotta go with with probably who you guys assume, Stephon Diggs. I mean, hmm. a thousand yards uh, so far on the season, and there's so many <laughs> games left for them. You know, those deep balls, like. The way that he gets set up and can set somebody, you know, when he gets those, those, a lot of the yardage, and then he can set up, you know, J- Gabe Davis or Josh Allen or whoever, to whoever it is for those touchdowns, speaks a lot of volumes. You know, he's a playmaker. He's breaking ankles. Obviously we saw that that uh, on Monday. I was like, I tweeted, I was like, yo, anybody check on uh, Richard Sherman ankles. I mean, he's breaking <laughs> so many ankles per game. It's crazy. But, and he's clearly a team guy, you know, obviously he's gotten such a bad rap and I just feel like all around, he's he's a good player on and off the field and you know um he just really changes the whole dynamic of this team and he takes a really good team to a to like almost like a phenomenal team but on the other side I also would have to say so I have two people and I'd also have to say Micah Hyde and I've heard from just just from the leadership standpoint I've heard players literally tell me that you know this guy the whole team respects this guy like just not just the defense, but the entire team, you know, this is a guy that everyone looks up to. He's a vet, obviously. And I think that that leadership goes a long way. And if they didn't have that, that, um, that defense could almost fall apart.
2: I was always struck by Micah's relationship with Steven Hauschka, because if you're in an NFL locker room, the dynamic between like special teams players or specialists, I feel like, and, and, you know, the regular, um, defensive and offensive players, sometimes there could just be a divide there. And I felt like there was always this from just my perception around the locker room, this inclusiveness to the way that Micah Hyde carried himself. And so to your point, that leadership, that attitude, I think that that's something that, you know, guys gravitate to. And I think those are both super great choices. Ryan, I want to hear yours, but I'm going to get mine in first, just in case you're going to take it. And I think you probably (laughs) would have, well, actually before I do, who would you have picked?
0: Well, offense, I'm going to do the same thing as that, I'm going to pick an offense and a defense. Diggs has okay. to be it on offense uh, just because he makes life so much easier for Gabriel Davis, for a healthy John Brown when he's out there, even for Cole Beasley. Defenses have to know where where Stephon Diggs is at all times. So the defenses kind of wander over to that side, the, the star players, the best players. Defensively, I have to go with Trey White. I, I'm, I'm going with Trey White just because we, we saw what that defense did uh, against Tennessee when he was not in that lineup. Uh, we saw what Josh Norman, you know, what he would look like as cornerback number one against A.J. Brown or um, what Levi Wallace has been doing as of late. You know, they're, they're both quality guys, quality people, but neither can be cornerback one for a team. And and if you miss out on Trey White, that defense, all of a sudden it's wide open for for teams to kind of throw all over the field where Trey White takes away a certain part of that field every single snap.
3: Right. I yeah. think another point, sorry not, not to cut you off, oh, now, but with Stefan is like at least he's making other people step their game up too. Because at the beginning, you know, Cole, even though he was like, oh, you know, I'm not thinking about the outside noise, you know, well, the ball's going to get around to everybody. Like at the end of the day, as a competitor, you like, I want to make some plays too. I want to be out there, I want my name to be out there too. So I felt like it almost made guys like Cole and John, you know, take their game up another level.
2: and actually that was who I was going to take was was Tredavious White but I'm also going to throw in another name that I think that sometimes because of the consistency kind of gets you know I don't want to say undervalued but forgotten about a little bit and that's Jerry Hughes and he's somebody that consistently week after week I feel like he has to be accounted for by the opposing offensive coordinator there has to be a plan for him you know there's things that he does nuanced things that he does from a week-to-week perspective that I think gets lost because if he doesn't record a sack or two and make a big splash play you're not really seeing in the in the in the heat of the game the action of the game all the little things that he does I, I went back and watched the game the other night um today and there was just a few plays just little things where you know Nick Mullins was just taken off of his spot it's something that Leslie Frazier talks about all the time sometimes it's not about getting the sack it's about getting the pressure and making the quarterback have to feel uncomfortable that makes them impact their decision or their throw and Jerry Hughes does that so much so much so that you take it for granted and you don't even really think about it anymore yeah that is that's true that's a good one
3: Jerry's he's just like a good dude to talk to too. Like he gives <laughs> great funny. answers. So yeah, he really is.
2: He's really um he's really um taken to the zoom environment. I feel like uh, sometimes in the locker room he, he could be a little bit you know, these guys are going through treatment and they just come off the field after practice. He's a veteran. He's been in this game a long time. There were some times I felt like he was just like, I don't want to talk today. You know what I mean? Yeah. But because of the Zoom environment and that, you know, he's allowed to kind of, you know, pick when he's going to go, he's been phenomenal. I think that he's been one of the best interviews and you brought up Stefan Diggs and his importance. Obviously he's the guy on offense. I would have gone to him too. He's another guy that's been absolutely unbelievable on Zoom.
3: Yeah, he's been good. I, I think I would have to say my most entertaining so far has been Deion Dawkins, for sure. He, he's he's a pretty entertaining guy, I've noticed. He's the a personality person, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm learning the snow thing. I've gotten that down.
2: There still isn't a really great explanation for the show
3: thing. It's Well, okay. So here's a funny thing. Um, I my Half of my family is from Jersey. So I have three cousins that went to school with him. And they said that he's been doing that snow thing since high school. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's something that he's always done that. He's like, already oh, you already snow and all the other stuff. So I wouldn't have known that if they wouldn't have wouldn't have told me that. Like They said he's been doing that well before Temple and stuff like that. So he- that's the best I got for you.
2: <laughs> I like it. And he just comes up with off-the-wall stuff, like the whole macaroni and cheese thing last year. Like, <laughs> I, at first I heard that, I was like –
3: Wait. So what, what was it? See, I was
2: an So can you even remember that, Ryan? Like, I don't even remember like the specifics. But he was talking about how he's like good, um, or stirring it in work. the pot. Yeah, just you gotta <laughs> stir the macaroni and cheese, and, and, and he was kind of <laughs> going through the recipe things. I think it was was it Kraft that reached out to him and like they did a little <laughs> thing with him, and it's just like, wait, what? Like that, my mind doesn't work like that. But that's what's so cool about the end. And it's funny that you bring him up because I think he's the defensive version. Of Jerry Hughes, a guy that has reached a, a level of, you know, if not all pro status, he's he's on the cusp and he's just so consistent week in and week out. You go to pro football focus, and I know you know that's a whole other conversation, but every week he's one of the top, if not the top graded offensive linemen on the Bills team. And it's like you just kind of take that, you put it in your pocket, you know you're going into Sunday or Monday with the fact that Dion's going to show up and be that guy for you every week. And that's a luxury in that league to have all of these players that give you that same level of play every week.
3: Exactly. Yeah.
2: All right. What else did I want to talk about here with you? I had to, I got my little uh, outline here. I always do these outlines. I always send them to, to Ryan before the show and he's like, um, he'll either add something or say, I love it. And so if he's add something, I know he's kind of like, you know you brought it today you didn't bring it 100% i'm going to i'm going to bring it as well but uh i pre- i always appreciate that feedback mm-hmm. your career i was be- i was looking on linkedin at your at your different stops mm-hmm. you've been all over the place so you were in oregon
3: so well i started in care uh, excuse me i started in atlanta that's where i started i did radio out there first and then i went to missouri mm-hmm. then i went to oregon then i went to North Carolina stayed there for a while and then came here.
2: So you have just been all over this country. What, what was your favorite spot so far? I feel like you can, even com- put Buffalo in this mix here now because you've been here for long enough to I'm at least not get a I'm
3: scared because if I don't say Buffalo,
2: you put that pressure on her.
3: Yeah, like, but I, it's look, okay. I love Los Angeles. They, so. they know about me. I'm a realist. Like, I've been having people come at me all week for these Pittsburgh Steelers. They're like, remember who you report for. Remember, yeah, I'm like, first I'm a journalist, so I can't even be biased. Technically, I right. can't be like, go Bills. So I don't think they understand that, but you know, I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Uh, through and through. I got my towels everywhere. I just decided, you know, just to do the Tennessee thing thing today and not, you know, show all my Pittsburgh stuff.
2: (laughs) That would have been Um, funny timing.
3: I know I was going to do it though. I was was scared. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I I probably have to say, honestly, I have to say Charlotte. Um, I really, but what I will say is I I really did enjoy, uh, Kansas city because I was, I wasn't in Kansas city. I was in St. Joseph. Obviously I, this is when Mm -hmm. I first started. So I was in a smaller market, but we covered everything in, um, Kansas city. That was our main thing. And then the the Royals won the world series that year. And it's kind of funny because I knew nothing about baseball nothing. Mm-hmm. and I had to learn it there because they went so far that year with Hosmer and everybody and, and won it. So, uh, that was a really, I don't know if you've ever been there, but if you've ever been to power and light, and that's the big thing where they go for the Royals and the, uh, the chiefs. Um, it's, it's like, it's super, it's, it's magnificent. Like it's so much fun. It's kind of like the Epic center in, in Charlotte, but, um, I, uh, I love Charlotte, man. Like I got a lot of family out there and, um, I got, a, my friends are out there. So it was, it was just awesome. And I love covering the Hornets. I'm an NBA girl through and through. Like I, it kills mm. me if there's no NBA team here, but I, I, I live for the NBA. So whenever the Toronto Raptors get it together and the, the border can get right, I'm definitely over there, especially cause my cousin just signed a two year deal with that too. So that's, that's special for me. But, uh, I love Charlotte, man. It's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it's like a little Atlanta, you know what I mean? They, it's it's just so much to do. Atlanta was great too, though. So
2: you know, Atlanta's too too humid. Atlanta's too humid for me. Too much humidity down it there. It is really
3: humid, though. It's it, hot. It, yeah, it's real humid. But you know, um, I was with a guy for like, uh, well, he, he, we'll get we we'll get in there. My boyfriend on, but uh, <laughs> he he's from Florida, and I learned like that humidity is something else, though. Like Atlanta's is bad, but that Florida stuff is. Cool. Please yes.
2: Please. So, yeah, so, I don't mess. I don't mess with Florida.
3: Yeah. And you know what? Just to be honest with you, just being a black girl at, at training camp with my hair, <laughs> I have to worry about it curling up. Then I'm like trying to get my makeup on. I'm like, I, I despise training camp. Now Spartanburg and Carolina heat, something different.
2: Yeah. It's
3: disgusting. It makes you feel nasty. Like I their heat is completely different. I don't know. Were you guys at the joint, the joint practice? I,
2: I was, yeah. It was yeah. It was God, terrible. Even under the – there was like a little tent area. And even under there, there was no getting away from it. There's it's yeah, misery you, everywhere. You
3: can't save yourself. And then the worst part is like you know, when you're doing TV and you're hold, trying to hold your mic and you're holding your camera and you just feel like the sweat dropping down your back. Like, oh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrible. Like I literally can't stand being a one-man band at training camp. Training camp is literally my least favorite time of the year.
0: Oh, I love training camp. But now – Buffalo did not make the top of your list yet. However, I think in due time it may because you have someone new living with you here. Uh, the star of the yeah. show that you held up before the show. Can, can you introduce us to your new dog he's here?
3: Sleeping. He's sleeping, but we got him up. Aww. <laughs> he's just waking up, clearly, you can see. But.
2: And,
0: and oh how gosh. old again?
3: He's 10 weeks. Oh, he's so mad. looking at <laughs> him. Oh.
0: What a sweetheart. What? Oh
3: this is the love of my life. I tell you. Like This is, this is how, you know, this is my baby. Cause I, I carry him like this. <laughs> he loves it. He just lives for it. He sleeps on his back. Like he has a real nine to five. Look he- at him. But yeah, he works like he has a nine to five. He doesn't do anything but sleep, poop and eat. That's it. <laughs> but literally I love him. And, um, I just had to pull the plug on it. Um, I, I've been talking about getting a dog for so long, and I feel like because of the pandemic and the way we are at home, that this was the best time for me to just go ahead and get a dog. I can try and potty train. I can be home with the dog. So by the time I'm transitioning back, you know he'll be a little bit older. He'll be a little bit more used to it. So that's awesome. I just I and literally you- drove four hours to go get him.
2: That's amazing. And where did you? Somebody gave you the tip on where to go get get him right because I, I remember you put out on social media
0: like, I did well, a I wanted
3: to rescue I wanted to rescue a dog but I, I couldn't there, there just wasn't places that really had them and mm-hmm. it was like more like pits or a lot older dogs and stuff like that and then I I went on a site that someone sent me um, actually our weather person put me on it and um, it was just kind of breeders everywhere and I end up seeing him and then I just made contact and now he's the my arms you
2: know what I mean? all dogs need a home
3: yeah and they call me super late because someone actually was already supposed to get them and they didn't show up and they were like hey if you're so interested and um they wanted me to come like literally that day and I was like well if I'm coming that day you have to either meet me halfway or you have to bring that like price completely down and we'll just say <laughs> I got a phenomenal deal that I was like I cannot pass up. so literally okay. before I went to practice I drove all the way to Ohio came all the way back in left here at like probably five o'clock. So it was super late by the time I got back. Woke up, slept for a couple of hours, woke up very early, went to Petsmart, got everything I needed, and somehow was dying when I went to camp the next day because like I could not leave him. I had just got him. So I was like, oh my God, what is this practice gonna be done? Like ready to <laughs> go. And you know we're only there for like 20 minutes. So yeah. What <laughs> kind of
2: dog situation.
3: is it? Uh it's a cockleer. So which okay. is have just a regular cocker spaniel and a cavalier King Charles spaniel. So, yep. And I didn't realize that all these Spaniels were different. And he's like teethings. He just eats he, everything.
2: There's a question in here for you. Um, being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, mm-hmm. are you nervous about Sunday night?
3: So you want me basically to basically imp- 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 imply
2: yes, like that I, th- I almost feel like PJ is implying that you should be nervous about Sunday night
3: you know, I'm always nervous. I'm nervous because they lost to the Washington football team. That's why Mm -hmm. I'm nervous. So not saying that, not saying that the bills aren't good, but if you could turn around and not, and I'm not trying to down them either, but that wasn't a game that I would have expected us to take a loss. I would have maybe put a game like this or something like that rather than, than them. So I feel like you can lose on any given day. And it's at home. The advantage is going towards Buffalo and, um, yeah, I mean, I'm always nervous, though. But, I mean, it's something about my guy, Big Ben. Like, I mean, I can't root against that dude ever. I don't know why. Claypool's just freaking killing it. They're, TJ Watt, love that guy. Not that I'm saying I want them to do anything against Josh Allen. So, please, like, Bills Mafia, that's not what I'm saying. I just know that's <laughs> going to make for a great game. And um, someone told – I won't even say who, but one player did frighten me when I put uh, – <laughs> when I put, like, I put something like 9-0 or something there, like, really? And I was like – yeah, this has nothing to do with you guys. Like, this is <laughs> my, in my own personal. I don't want to say it, it was just so many people were coming for me. And um, when I was Wake Carolina, Ron Rivera, I have like my keychains have the Steeler lanyard. I didn't even pay attention. I just do my back pocket going to practice. It's like, hey, like, can't wear that keychain here anymore. And I was like, what keychain? And I was like, on oh, this keychain? He was like, yeah, just leave it in your car. And I was like, okay. So I just never, <laughs> I never brought my keychain back. The people are very sensitive about these
2: types of things. Yeah, that's, that's some serious business. Like, I know. I've, I've even heard sometimes like cross sports. Like I remember somewhere, somebody used to wear a Yankees hat in a, in a press room. I don't know where I was. And they were told to stop wearing the Yankees hat. And I yeah. was like, man, that's, that's way too serious for me. I mean, I get it. We're all here to do a job, but whatever, right. I guess.
3: And it's hard though. Cause it's like, we're journalists, but we all have our favorite fans. And, I mean, favorite teams and everything like that. Like, luckily I don't have a favorite NBA team. My favorite player is retired. So Mm -hmm. I mean I kind of get out of the mix. Besides that, I just pretty much support wherever my cousin goes at that at that point. But Kevin Garnett's been gone, so like (laughs) I was good, and I was I didn't want him to finish really with the Timberwolves because I was like I can't be a Timberwolves fan.
2: There's two versions of Kevin Garnett, and I'm also a big NBA guy, and it's it's it it killed me for three decades growing up in Buffalo and not having an NBA team, but. Um yep. there's two versions of Kevin Garnett. There's the Timberwolves version which was awesome and who I really loved and 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 respected. And then there was this this other guy that went to Boston and just became this absolutely unbearable um, I don't even know what he turned into. He was just like it, it was just different, and maybe he was always that guy. And I just liked it because I just liked the vibe in Minnesota. And sure. and and it's funny how sports can play tricks on you like that. Like somebody that I really can't stand is Draymond yeah. Green, but I feel like if he was on a team that I rooted for, I'd probably be down with him. So yeah. it, it's funny how that works.
3: Yeah, you know, I've met Kevin Garnett, uh, Roz Gold on um, what is like one of my really close friends and. In- when she was at nba tv she took me there and that's when i saw area 21 and um sorry my dog's trying to jump over the suitcase that i have <laughs> in, not to go over um and i talked to him and i was like oh man like this is my first time i ever telling anybody i'm like you're my favorite player whatever and he's like don't like me and i was like what he was like i'm gonna he was like i'm an a-hole <laughs> or whatever and i was like i was like Oh, okay, it, it just really made me love him even more. Like, so I, I mean, <laughs> I literally think, like, who you're talking about, that's really who he is. Like, right, he, pretty much every time that. I run him, he talks a lot of crap. Like, that's just him, man. Like, it is weird because he's like from South Carolina and stuff. Like, it, you know, it throws me off sometimes, but yeah, he's he's kind of on the other side, but. I get a lot of slack too because I'm a LeBron hater. I'm one of those people, so it's okay.
2: Oh, okay, and just like yeah. that, you're gone. Yeah, I'm you're, a LeBron you're fan, erased. Get out of here. I like him as uh, a
3: person, but man, like, how many times can you travel and cry and then be like, "Oh, I'm like, I don't know." We can talk about. We can talk about how many All Stars were on the Miami team if we really want to get into it. Because people are trying to act like he carried that team. No, he didn't. He'll carry a team with all these All Stars people. Now people want to say Ray Allen wasn't an All Star. What are you talking about? let's not even talk about the, the NBA playoffs this year, okay? Let's not talk about the championship mm-hmm. game. I'm not even counting the Lakers as a real champs, okay? Sorry. It's not happening.
2: This could turn very bad. So
0: we There's have Ashley to
2: –
3: I'm team Ashley
0: here. MJ's oh better God.
3: than MJ's LeBron. completely better.
0: 100
2: times better,
0: people.
3: A, LeBron. All
2: right, so – um, what happened here is I had the controls in this podcast, and what I could do is I can mute Ryan, and I can mute Ashley, and, and I could talk and tell you why LeBron James is so – no, I'm just kidding. I want to I wanna unmute them and, and bring them. <laughs>
3: I'll tell you this. I had I had a, I had a podcast in Carolina, and um, it was me and another guy from Fox, and I had Trey Boston on it, and that was the only time that I've ever gotten a screaming match with a the, with the player. And we screamed our points of why I was Mike and he was, he was LeBron. It was crazy. I mean, it was just yelling for 15 minutes.
2: Before we, we got to wrap up in the next three minutes, but I want to get to one more thing that I I added late. You covered the Panthers while you were in Carolina. And one of the things that has been, that's grown, um, I feel like in, in lore, over the last couple of years, is the Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean pipeline from Carolina to Buffalo. All of these different players. I mean, you look at this defense right now: Josh Norman, Vernon Butler, Mario Addison, uh, Daryl Worley was here before he was cut. There's all of these guys that they bring because they're familiar with them. And and I'm just wondering, from the Carolina perspective, was that ever something and that you know people down there kind of recognized? And you think that that is is something that has helped them, you know, build the, um, culture that they built here.
3: Yeah. It's funny because people in Carolina call this Panthers North just because of how many people have, have came here, whether it's reporters or players or anything, I think, um, I, yeah. Two guys that to me that have stood out have really been like Darrell Williams, because he was very good, in my opinion, for Carolina on that O-line. And here he's just been able to be versatile. You know, he can tackle, you play guard. I think he's just a really great addition to this Bills offense, considering, you know, you, you see how much time Josh Allen has in the pocket or he can decide if he's going to run, take a drink or whatever he wants. I mean, he has unlimited amount of time. But a, a, another dude that really stood out to me was Mario Addison. You know, he was huge for Carolina. I think he had like 55 tackles at the time that he was there um older guy clearly still able to do it and one thing that I know personally with that is he just said like how close that him and Bean were as well as McDermott but Bean like I've heard a lot of people from Carolina say Bean is my guy like Bean is mm-hmm. my guy and you could tell that when Bean believes in someone or whatever and even though he's been at Carolina for he was at Carolina for quite some time he doesn't like let go of those guys so when he sees like this talent and he feels like that he can grab them he's going to grab them i know for a fact that's a big reason why Mario ended up here you know what i mean like there was other options he could have went to but he said specifically he was here because of me and mm-hmm. what being meant to him and like how close he was how much they've always kept in contact and stuff like that and i just feel like you could tell that like, this relationship is not just like oh i like this guy and it's great no it's literally like they're close to to being and they're really close to coach sean mcdermott and they have that relationship and that's why i feel like they've been able to get a lot of these good players that came here because it seems like for the most part every player has been able to develop into something I mean I I really won't count Worley into that um and I definitely won't count Kevin Benjamin because that obviously didn't work at all but besides what made that better
2: is that you did call him Kevin Benjamin because (laughs) I feel like no I know but that I feel like that's you could call him Kevin Joe it wouldn't really matter I mean everybody kind of erased him from the memory banks because was crazy, bands-
3: man, because, like, I don't know, I just felt like, because he was so big, like, I was like, oh, this dude can really take over, but right. it was almost like, I saw a decline at Carolina, and then I don't even know if he went to Buffalo. I think he went somewhere else, then went to Buffalo, and then that just, like, yeah, just... Yeah.
2: And it ended poorly for it. for for that guy. I will say though, he was he was another guy. I enjoyed talking to him in the locker room. That's
3: that's yeah. a whole other story. He's a, nice, he's a nice dude. But before that, like I was saying, they just it seems like the 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 pipeline works for them. So even mm-hmm. though it's like a lot of players they're bringing, it, it it works for them. Though,
2: let everybody know where they can find you on social media because I think there's a lot of people that are going to want to make sure that they can uh, follow along with your coverage.
3: Yeah, you can follow me on Ash Noel TV, TV on everything—Twitter, Facebook. Um, actually, no, that's Ashley Holder on Facebook. I like, and um, <laughs> Instagram. Yeah, so you know me—I'm always trying to, I'm trying to get my Buffalo stuff up on, you know, so I can have my my fans and talk to them, and I can be cool like y'all one day. But like I said, I just <laughs> blessed to be on a podcast with two goats. So, you well, we like appreciate.
2: Well, yeah, we appreciate we you coming on and we were the lucky ones indeed. Thank you so uh, much, you Ashley. You a while to
3: bring me on, but you know, I'll let it fly.
2: <laughs> No, I know you can hate on that a little bit, <laughs> but I will say it's been such a weird year because, you know, in most years, like we probably would have already like spent much more time together, but in the COVID like era, yeah. like we really only had that small window where I feel like numbers were kind of improving and and like people were at least able to go to like restaurants and stuff. Uh, we went out the one night but no you're awesome people and this was fun and we're we're gonna do it again
3: thank you guys i appreciate it
2: all right take care quick word from our sponsor and we will be right back with mr bruce exclusive
3: ready for football with every game a home game tops is ready for you with its tv a day giveaway for six weeks every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70 inch 4k tv shop tops for the best deals in town in store or online to win
2: Look at this guy! The hair is combed so neatly. The tie is um, tied so nicely. Bruce Nolan, are you are you there?
1: I'm here, and I'm just I'm just loving the way this outfit looks on me, man. I mean, I'll love it with you. I think it's slimming. It is <laughs> slimming. You, I know
2: you've been working out. You know, uh, all, all off season long and into the season, it's work, man. You're looking you're looking fit as a fiddle.
1: I just need the clapper now. To really get the whole thing to kind of work together i need to turn and turn off the studio lights with my hands and then i'll really have completed the idea
2: <laughs> all right so welcome to the show mr bruce nolan the host of the bruce exclusive podcast on the buffalo rumblings podcast network uh my good friend ryan's good friend Thank you for joining us, sir. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got a nine and three football team here that, you know, people are starting to talk Super Bowl a little bit. Is that, does that
1: freak you out at all? It's unusual. I'm not used to having to deal with that question. So when you are headed into the season, and you're tackling all of the possible probabilities, right? I, I'm a very organized guy. I like to plan for all the contingencies. At no point did I think I was going to have to tackle that. What do you think? The Bills are Super Bowl contender? <laughs> that hasn't happened to me in recent memory. So now the first time that it happened, the first time it came across my desk, I thought to myself, I'll level with you. I'm not entirely sure what to say to this. I'll tell you what. Give me a minute. Let me process. I'll get back to you. That's kind of how this happened because I hadn't initially considered it as being something I was going to have to tackle so I wasn't prepared.
0: Well, understandable. Fair enough. Well, here here is something for you to kind of digest. If if the Bills are to be a Super Bowl contender, <laughs> are they making a mistake going with Levi Wallace as cornerback 2 down the stretch?
1: I think that there can be an argument that is made that based on what we have seen in small sample size from Dane Jackson, he should be getting some more snaps. I think that Levi Wallace has an interesting position that he finds himself in. And the first is that being CB2 on this Buffalo defense naturally invites targets as it is, regardless of skill set. Just the position and the proximity to Tradavius White on the opposite side is going to invite targets your way. Then in addition to that, Levi Wallace has two significant flaws that have shown up throughout his career. The first is that he doesn't have the recovery speed, the basic athleticism, short area quickness and recovery speed. He's a below average athlete for the position. And the second is that at the catch point, he doesn't have great skills at the catch point. And so when you put those two things together, you think, okay, so he has a tendency to struggle against size receivers, right? Devontae Parker, of course, comes immediately to mind. From the Miami Dolphins. And then he struggles with long speed. And so because of that, you have limitations there. Well, I hate to break it to you. Dane Jackson isn't a markedly better athlete than Levi Wallace. Maybe a smidge better athlete, but Levi Wallace had an RAS score, relative athletic score coming out in the twos. Dane Jackson had it in the fours. So you're still getting below average relative athleticism for the position. However, that being said, Dane Jackson has shown ability at the catch point he has two pass breakups and an interception in 10 targets. Well, Levi Wallace has two pass breakups in like 44 targets. So it is markedly different at the catch point. Now I will admit it's a small sample size. It's a really small sample size for Dane Jackson. So I don't think it's a slam dunk. I don't think it's an obvious, well, guys, Dane Jackson should be starting, but there's clearly an argument to be made that Dane Jackson should get more run because if you have two main flaws. And you have a team that is capable of taking advantage of that as long as they roll out a receiver of meaningful talent across from Levi Wallace, then if you have the ability to account for one of those flaws, which this being issues at the catch point, then it should at least be investigated. I think the conversation should be had. I don't know if I go as far as to say it's clearly a mistake because Levi Wallace has been a preferred starter for this team on good defenses for years and Dane Jackson's a rookie. So although we might be improving that one aspect of Levi Wallace's flaws, you never know. If you roll out Dane Jackson there for 60 snaps, you could be getting a lot of other issues that aren't just an improvement at the catch point. You could be getting a loss of all of the mental upside that Levi Wallace gives you, and that could be a reason why Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier and Butler keep rolling out Levi Wallace. So I don't necessarily think it's a slam dunk. Hey, it's absolutely a mistake. Jane Jackson be the the starter. But there's clearly a logical argument to Jane Jackson getting some run. So I go back to last season with Levi, and what we saw
2: transpire as the season went on is that some of these problems started to creep up, and the Bills decided to go with a rotation at that spot. Kevin Johnson started to get more repetitions uh, as the season went on. It kind of ebbed and flowed. I still think Levi Wallace, I would consider the starter there, even as he struggled. But that was something that was eye opening to me because you get a year and a half into a player's career and you want to start to see that, that trending line kind of at least maintain itself on its way up. And I felt like there's too much up and down with Levi Wallace. And so they go out and get Josh Norman. And that was the first thing that came to mind was, okay, this is their plan. This is let's, let's push Levi in camp. We have a guy in Josh Norman, the way they've talked about Josh Norman all off season. It led me to believe that if and when healthy, he would be the guy, but we've seen now in two instances after Josh Norman got injured and came back, they still went with Levi Wallace. So I feel like Leslie Frazier said that this 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 past Monday that they're 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 not ruling out a rotation at any point. But to your point, I still feel like they they have a level of confidence in Levi Wallace and wanna see if, and this is another point that I think people lose sometimes with how they run their operation, is it's still about growth and development. So what we're seeing, or some of the setbacks that you're seeing a player go through. I think part of it is them wanting to see if that player that they've invested in can make it out of it. So I guess my question is, is there is there a scenario where you see Levi Wallace landing at a place where he can be a productive, trusted, every-down cornerback opposite Tredavious White, knowing that
1: because he's opposite Tredavious White, he is going to get the work, as Leslie Frazier said? I don't think that Levi Wallace has the requisite physical skills to be a preferred upper level starter in the NFL. I think that the fact of the matter is that Levi Wallace has massively overachieved already as an undrafted free agent who was a walk-on at Alabama. He is someone who has turned in a productive career. He will probably play in this league for a long, long time because that's the type of player we've seen these players, these four, six corners who lack that long speed, Daryl Worley, Josh Norman. we You've even seen flashes from players like this, but what you haven't seen is consistent long-term production that happens often from a player who lacks the ability to run as fast as the player who's across from him. That's just not something you see. You might see flashes. We saw an all pro season from Josh Norman and he ran a four, six, six. So you can see moments of greatness from these players, but what you don't see often, right? You might see it sometimes, but you don't see it often is below average runners play at a high level in this league for a long time at a position where reactive athleticism is so important. One of the reasons why I've been pounding the table for dynamic athletes to play corner on this team, even though Sean McDermott consistently rolls out four, six, six guys who are scrappy and like to tackle. The reason why I've been pounding the table is because if you are a good athlete and you are across the field from another good athlete and that good athlete knows where he's going and you don't, you're already behind. It's that simple. You have to be an even higher quality of athlete to be able to make up for the fact that the guy you are guarding knows where he's going and you don't that requires an upper upper echelon athlete to be able to pull it off. And so when Levi Wallace came in pleasantly surprised during his first year, his second year, I think we started to see that when there are occasions, when you target Levi Wallace, a lot of times you can get production. And even if he breaks up one or two, if you keep targeting Levi Wallace, you will get production. We've seen it again, Miami Dolphins game earlier this year. We saw it last week when you get eight, nine, 10 targets in Levi Wallace direction, you are going to get production. And part of that comes from the fact that he just lacks the necessi- necessary physical tools. He's not a bad player. He's never a bad player. He's a limited player. And that's going to keep him from being what I would, uh, what I would think would be a long-term preferred starter in the league.
0: Well, you know, use the term flashes of greatness. So let's transition to someone who's shown a lot of flashes of greatness this year. And, and that's Josh Allen. When Josh Allen came out, there there was a narrative on him in terms of uh, what kind of player he could be, what his ceiling uh, may be due to his accuracy. What was it, did did you have a narrative on him coming out, or uh, what were what was your take on him when he first came out? And then has anything flipped on him for you, like it has for some of these national uh, media members that have obviously flipped on him this year over this course of this uh, outstanding season that he's having?
1: My comp for Josh Allen coming out of college was John Skelton. I had a late day two, early day three grade on him. So that's a swing and a miss. (laughs) That's a pretty early swing and a miss. I think that the second Josh Allen reached competent level, I already had, I, I was already wrong on that take. So the only question now moving forward is not whether or not Bruce was wrong. Bruce was already wrong. The question is to what degree was Bruce wrong? How badly did I miss? Because you had a, project quarterback who was athletic and had a big arm and came from a smaller college and needed a lot of work. And a lot of times those quarterbacks don't pan out. Project quarterbacks are not commonly thought of as being somebody who can really, you know, really end up being good. I mean, how many really significant project quarterbacks end up being great because they don't necessarily continue on the trajectory? Josh Allen did. And so very, very rarely do you have a quarterback who takes a jump from year two to year three the way that Josh Allen has? Now, one of the things that we, I speak of myself, did not put enough weight on with Josh Allen was limited reps. That's what we didn't do. Yes, he looks like this, but where is he on the scale right now? How early is he in his development? Yes, I understand he looks like this. I understand that he throws some passes and overstrides and sails them 50 yards over the head where they're not supposed to be. We get that. But where is he in the development? Is he like that now and it's a finished product? This is Josh Allen, finished product. Congratulations on your overstriding. Is it that simple? Or is he really, really early in his development and what you're seeing is just a lump of clay and a guy who's willing to work? And so what I misjudged on Josh Allen and what I think a lot of people misjudged is that what we saw from him in college is not... One singular data point that arrives at the end of his development. What we saw from Josh Allen instead is, yes, he looks like this, but he's a lot farther behind than you think he is. And that's where I got it wrong. The other thing I got wrong, specifically, a lot of people got wrong about his compadres, specifically Josh Rosen, is that your ability in this league to make plays off schedule and make throws off platform is going to continue to be valuable. This idea that you have these stationary statue pocket quarterbacks, it's it's not a thing anymore. These guys coming out, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, the people we're looking at, we're looking at Trevor Lawrence next year. You're looking at Justin Fields. You're looking at people who can make plays in the second phase of the play. After you've gone through your reads and nobody's open, or you've gotten pressure and you're forced to jumpstart the scramble drill, can you make a play? Josh Allen can do that. That was not enough weight put on that because we're still stuck in the 1990s and the early 2000s when it comes to quarterbacks. And I think Josh Allen is going to force a lot of people to start valuing different things. Now, I'm not saying go, go look for the next Josh Allen, because don't, because Josh Allen's an anomaly. Don't go looking for the next Josh Allen. Josh Allen's a unique and special player, and we should be applauding that. But I got it wrong. A lot of people got it wrong. I'm willing to take the L on it. The only question now is how big is my L? I have a I have a
2: different kind of, L in the sense that I was like a fan, and I talked about this on the show recently when they drafted Josh Allen, and my wife can attest I was saying bad words at the TV because I had read so much on Josh Rosen. I mean, I wasn't as plugged in. Nearly, I mean, a different universe of plugged in where I was, at, you know, when he was drafted. Um, but one of the cool things that I had coming to the beat when I did to cover Josh and the Bills was just spending the amount of intimate time that I did in the MMA world and having one-on-one access to so many professional fighters, athletes that I I got a kind of a sense of their psyche and their dynamic and what goes into things. And, you know, talking to young fighters that make their debut in the UFC, I, I, I probably never really used this example specifically, but the more I've thought about it, the more it makes a lot of sense. It's like, their first fight in the UFC, there's so much happening, the bright lights, the bigger stage, more people, the speed and the of of the events that happen, and so it takes some time, a couple of fights for the game for the for the sequences to slow down. And I think some of the things where Josh Allen was struggling the most as a rookie was the little things. I mean, you go back to training camp and when he sailed the ball over. Um, was the running, back? Uh, LaShawn McCoy's head by like five yards. And you're just, everybody's is like sharing that video out and people are laughing and people are making jokes. And, and I'm kind of sitting here and thinking that's a really fixable thing because once the reps come, the live bullets, as you know, Brian Dable always likes to say, that's something that through re- repetition, that's something that you can learn and fix. And I think what we've seen is every area of his game that, you know, the mechanical stuff has been something that you can fix with enough time and going from Wyoming to the NFL. I think we should have, to your point, always know, always have known that there was going to be a delay in terms of just where he's at now compared to where he was at as a rookie.
1: I'd agree with that. We should have known, you know, you know, uh, Joe Marino draft network uh, locked on bills famously said that he, you know, talked to some people who thought that, Josh Allen was 10,000 reps behind Baker Mayfield, 10,000 individual reps behind Baker Mayfield. So where you are is important where you're going is more important. And I think that's the part where myself and a lot of people just missed.
0: Yeah. And right now I think it's fair to say that we haven't even scratched the surface on his ceiling because of where he's still going. The fact that he was so far behind the Baker Mayfields, the Sam Darnold's in the, in those reps. And We've already kind of seen him, well, lap Sam Darnold, unfortunately, because Darnold has not uh, had the the proper kind of coaching talent around him. And and I I personally feel like he's past Baker Mayfield at this point. Uh, So it's interesting to see. And if you remember the Bills Mafia, it has to be exciting to see the evolution of Josh Allen to this point and the fact that the best is probably still yet to come.
2: Let's transition here because this is a one talking point that I wanted to hit into because I saw it mentioned, I, maybe on a message board or a comment on an article somewhere. I can't remember, but it's something that you you have to consider this week. It's going to be interesting to get out of practice and see the kind of combinations. One of the things that we talked about on the show the, a couple of days ago was I saw Ike Bucker at practice last week. I couldn't really report it because we're not allowed to report what we're seeing for game planning purposes, that that rule is still kind of intact with who lines up where. And it's just a gray area that we're, we just don't get into. And so I feel like this, re- this regime has really shown that they're willing to make adjustments. Maybe it's not as fast as fans... Sometimes want, but they will make an adjustment. I mean, we saw Brian Winters for nine weeks struggling. I mean, I'm no film expert. I I've watched football my whole life, and I could tell you without a shadow of a doubt, from watching live and watching on replay, Brian Winters was the worst offensive lineman of the five consistently. And so that was just something I thought. They they noticed it, they made a change. Ike Bucker, Zach Moss, two fumbles, only one technically, because that was the one that lost. The other one was caused by the ground, but they're eye-opening plays because. You start to remember who Zach Moss is in terms of just being a rookie, and those kinds of mistakes can really snake bite you as you're going through the season, have a lot of big games. This Pittsburgh game is huge. Once you get into the playoffs, and, and Sean McDermott didn't mince words. He was like, you didn't see him because he had to learn a hard lesson that those kinds of mistakes will not be tolerated, you know, I'm paraphrasing. So is there a possibility that maybe because of that fumble in a big spot like that at the goal line, they
1: maybe moved to TJ Yeldon in that backup role. They said going into the draft, when there was a lot of talk about potentially them drafting a running back on day two or day three, they said going into the draft that they had a lot of faith in TJ Yeldon. They openly said that. Now we all assumed after the draft that the reason why they said that was because it was a smoke screen and they wanted to take Zach Moss, especially after word came out that they attempted to trade up for Zach Moss. And they recognized how much they like Zach Moss, but that doesn't mean they don't have trust in him. I always thought it was really weird that they signed TJ Yeldon to a two-year deal last year. I always thought that was strange because typically you don't see running backs like that being signed to two-year deals at that stage in the offseason. It's unusual. Usually that's one year, that minimum range. And I always thought that was kind of interesting and they were kind of hedging themselves against the idea that if they didn't have a running back, they really liked in this draft that they would still have a carryover year from TJ Yeldon. It's clear they they trust him, and he's performed okay. Now, I will say that we've seen scenarios like this where it happens, and then someone makes a mistake, and they take the bench for a little bit. But Zach Moss was out on the field later that game, and that's the thing that makes me think they're not going to do it. The thing that makes me think they're not going to do it is I think if they were going to, we would have not seen him at all. And I think the question was, okay, you're going to sit down. We're going to talk about it. You're going to recognize that you got to learn a hard lesson. And we're going to let you take one more carry here later on down the line. And I think that that ability to insert him back into the lineup later on, like they did, that would make me lean toward they're not going to make a change right now. Now, I'm not saying if he doesn't fumble the ball again, they wouldn't make the change because – They've pretty much shown that they're willing to do things like that for mistakes, but they inserted Zach Moss as the one, a slash one B to Devin Singletary. And even when he wasn't necessarily fumbling the ball, but he wasn't showing great vision earlier in the year, he struggled with a toe injury, wasn't quite as explosive as you like to see. They stuck with him. So with that, and with the fact that he was back in the lineup after his fumble, albeit much later in the game. They let him carry the ball again, those two things combined make me think they're not going to make a switch. But if they did, I wouldn't feel bad about it. TJ Weldon Yeldon has performed at a reasonable level,
0: yeah. That, that's fair. Let, let's stay on the offensive side of the ball. Is the passing offense that we saw against the 49ers sustainable without John Brown in the lineup?
1: I think it's sustainable as long as Josh Allen continues to play the way he did against zone. And Brian Dable continues to call the route concepts he did against zone. That was, it was really interesting because the narrative for Josh Allen kind of in the middle section of this season was, okay, they're defending him a new way. There's a new book on Josh Allen, you know, coming into this year after last year, it was, okay, we're going to play man, bring pressure. You're going to see cover zero. You're going to see cover one. Can you beat it? And then the Bills go out and acquire one of the best man separators in the game in Stephon Diggs. Josh Allen gets another year of comfort and he comes out the first four weeks and absolutely lights people up like a Christmas tree. Merry Christmas. And (laughs) he lights them up like a Christmas tree. And then there's a new book on Josh Allen. And that's what being a franchise quarterback is. Franchise quarterback is eventually overcoming book after book after book until eventually there's no book on you. Because if there is one thing that a defense can do and that one thing is going to shut you down, then you're not a franchise quarterback. <laughs> like if there's one thing that, oh guys, as long as we do this thing, he's not going to be effective. Then you're not here's a franchise one, guy.
2: Here's one thing that I noticed didn't happen though in in the San Francisco game. And you watched the tape, so you could probably correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't notice them getting significant pressure with their front, their, their, their front four. And I feel like this week with TJ Watt, that's going to change because I feel like he's, I mean, he's going to probably be matched up most of the game with Daryl Williams, who's been really good in pass protection. So you like that matchup, but he's still TJ Watt. And I think that that's where, you know, you go back to the Kansas City game and where I thought the real problem came. It came from the interior and Chris Jones, because he's a beast and one of the best in the game to do what he does. But I think you add another guy into the mix like a TJ Watt. And that's where I have questions.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And when we've seen Josh Allen get pressure, he got quick pressure a couple times against San Francisco. He likes to roll to his right. We've seen that before. So when you have to jumpstart the scramble drill against the zone, can you do it effectively? And so I think the answer to the original question is, can, is it sustainable without smoke? I think the answer is yes, if Josh Allen continues on his trajectory, because what John Brown serves as a purpose for Josh Allen is he's in a nice security blanket. Josh Allen said when John Brown got around this team last year, that he had never had a person who runs routes as professionally as John Brown. Like this is a guy who Josh Allen just trusts. And in the absence of that security blanket, now don't get me wrong. Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley are a very nice security blanket. Consolation prize. Thank you very much. But ideally I'd like to have three rather than two. And Gabriel Davis is not at the section in his environment, in his development, where you consider him a go-to security blanket. That's just not where he is yet as a player. He's been great as a wide receiver for, he's been performing above expectations, but in absence of that third security blanket, in absence of that guy that Josh Allen has chemistry with, what you'll need to see in order to sustain it is continued development from Josh Allen against zone and against pressure. Look at Arizona. Arizona was able to get free rushers through zone pressures, and they played a lot of stuff on the back end that made Josh Allen confused on the protections and they got free rushers. So they, they bring four, but it wasn't the same four that they thought it was. And because of that, Josh Allen had to kind of accelerate his time. He didn't look quite as good against Arizona. If we continue on the development, then we can sustain it. If we can't, then the absence of Brown is going to start to be noticeable.
2: I was, I was just listening. I was just. I was. Just, <laughs> I, was I was having the full Bruce experience. Uh, if, if you are, are are confused by this beautiful picture on the screen below, this is the Bruce exclusive podcast host Bruce Nolan that is joining us right now from Buffalo Rumblings. Go find the Bruce exclusive. All the BR uh, podcasts are awesome. Our guy Anthony Marino is over there. Uh, Steve Vega, the Buff Hub. So many. Uh, the the what's the uh, what's um Robin's podcast I. I
1: The Mafia Mavens. Mafia
2: Mafia. Mavens. They had a great episode recently with Brandon Bean's uh, wife, Haley. Go check that out. They do so many great things. Before we get out of here, Bruce, there's one more topic I wanted to bring up. And, you know, you look across this defense. We were kind of covering it with Ashley a little bit in terms of, you know, who is the most irreplaceable player. But I want to ask you, which single defensive player has impressed you the most through 12 games? It could be anybody and for any reason.
1: I think that the player who has impressed me the most from – this defense in the last 12 games is Jerry Hughes. And the reason why I say Jerry Hughes is because every year I think this is the year that Jerry Hughes maybe is not as productive, maybe he's not as explosive. And last year had kind of a down year and then we found out he was dealing with a ton of injuries during the season and he comes back and you're like, "Okay, well, maybe this isn't the year. Maybe last year wasn't the year where Jerry Hughes kind of sort of tails off. Maybe it was just cuz he was Hurt and then he gets right. And then this year, ignore the sack numbers, ladies and gentlemen. It's just a terrible way of evaluating Jerry Hughes's play. Turn on the film, watch him. He's very, very good and he's consistently been good. And the thing that Jerry Hughes kind of gets slept on is because he doesn't have those 12 sack seasons that you think of. But Jerry Hughes is approaching wall of fame level of play for how long he's been here. He's going to be viewed as being a long term member of a really good Bills team. And he was a big part of the 2017 team. He was a big part of the cold front back when this you know, defensive line was unbelievable. Mario Williams and Marcel Darius and Kyle Williams and Jerry Hughes. He was the beginning of the idea that, hey, this is a good defensive line. And then pieces started falling off around him and he's continually played well. Jerry Hughes is going to be looked at as a player who was a meaningful player on this team for a long time. And I understand that seems a little hyperbolic when I say it and you know, I get people in the comments going, Whoa, Whoa, Bruce, what what you talking about there? But I mean, just look at the all-time sack leaders and he slowly starts growing the list. I mean, is there a realistic chance that Jerry Hughes is looked at in the Phil Hansen level of fondness when his career is over? And I think that that's probably a possibility. And if that's the case. You have to look at him as a great Bill. And so when I think about players who've impressed me, it's Jerry Hughes. And it's because every year I think this is the year. This is the year where Jerry Hughes is going to fall off. And it just keeps not happening. So as far as I'm concerned, keep signing the boy to one-year extensions until he qualifies for AARP. (laughs) He is on
2: pace for 61 pressures, uh, 62 pressures this year, which would be the second highest um, pressure total of his career behind 2018, which... Was his best year. I mean, mm-hmm. PFF gave him a 90.4 grade that year. I remember, I think his pre- pass rush win rate was in the top five. It was, it was just, he was absolutely phenomenal that year. You look at the, that's one year where you, the sack number doesn't even begin to tell the story on how good Jerry Hughes was for that 2018 Bills defense. But to your point, you just see the impact that he has out uh, like on everybody else around him. I mean, you talk about an interior defense that struggled. Um, to find its identity after Star Latulule was gone, and they talk about such a luxury. Um, to have a guy like Jerry Hughes that you could kind of rely on to always do his job and also f- confuse offensive lines. I mean, they do some, you know, you'd be able to talk to this more than I would, Bruce, but like that, just some of the stunt works that they do. I mean, just one last game, it didn't involve Hughes, but I think it was Milano, uh, who it was a third down play and he got through. Uh, I think he stunted it, it, uh, it to the inside with a nice move and came in and just got on Nick Mullins and, and he made a bad throw and they do a lot of that. And Jerry Hughes is usually involved in some way. So to your point, I, I think you're spot on Ryan defensive player. That's impressed you the most so far this year, Jordan Poyer. Uh, I
0: think Poyer has been solid since the year one, but I really think he's taken his game to another level this year. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, and I'm not going to say he's been the better safety than Micah Hyde because he's been believable as well, but I feel like his growth from this year—he's taken a bigger leap in his play. Hyde has always been since he's joined the Bills that elite safety status, and Poyer was always really good. He was like, "Man, I can't believe we got him at the deal that we did." But I thought i, I feel like this year he's taken his game to another level. Uh, obviously, that back end's pretty good with with Trey White with Micah Hyde. Uh, and, and with Poyer, but I, I just feel like he's having the be- his best season as a member of the Bills.
2: Oh, got a little little. That, yeah, that means we're done because when I started hearing the sounds <laughs> in the background, like I I, I do my best to kind of I I learned now with this new podcast studio. I got to turn the heat off. That that takes care of that. Then we got the hot water tank right here. You should just see everything that's around me. You think it's like this cool little nook, like a like fun little studio. It's in the middle of just chaos, and it can just get chaotic at any moment. So Mr. Bruce Nolan, thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. We could do this all night. We're going to have you back on soon. I got the template built for you so we can, we can have you jump on here anytime. I'm also thinking, speaking of the Buffalo Rumblies, I might, I might hit up Anthony Moreno. I can't believe we haven't had on this, him on this podcast yet. I think we got to rectify that for next Wednesday night. We'll see if we can get him on the show, but Bruce, let everybody know where they can find you, what you got coming this week. I know Thursday and Friday is the usual podcast days. What, what
1: do we got coming? I actually just finished recording editing and uploading my thursday podcast before i hopped on here so tomorrow you can see and hear not see because obviously you know there's a template using somebody else's face instead of mine i actually don't look anything like jim Carrey, so that's definitely a a, a disappointment for anyone who's actually ever met me in person but <laughs> which my you, hair which is not you,
2: nearly that good which i have we we crushed yes. some baches last summer we did and we crushed it we crushed it. And and I will say, yeah, um, Bruce Nolan, better experience.
1: <laughs> uh, visually. You, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at Bruce Exclusive. My podcast, The Bruce Exclusive, drops every Thursday and Friday on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Thank you guys so much for having me. It is a, it is a pleasure. I am truly blessed. And uh, I really appreciate you guys letting me be a part of it. Oh, anytime. We'll do this again real soon.
2: Quick, quick question before we let you go and we end tonight. So is there a situation, like I've seen a lot of like uh, thrillers, like a lot of thriller movies, like when the FBI closes in and gets too close for comfort, do you guys relocate (laughs) or what do you have to do to keep them
1: off your tracks? You know? So funny story, since the last time you saw me, (laughs) what I do is every time I'm seen in public by someone, I completely change the way I look. So since the last time you saw me, I have different facial hair. I have different hair. I've lost weight there's other stuff going on. So you wouldn't even recognize me. And that's how I stay one step ahead. I stay one step ahead by recognizing that I've been got, and I've got to do the entire different. I mean, I might, it's like gaining or losing weight for a part, you know, I'm really committed to it. So the next time you see me, I might just decide to randomly put on 40 pounds just so that, you know, I got to stay one step ahead. You got to do what you got to do, man, get a new car, you know, do what you got to do. Well, I
2: think you got to change your identity a little bit or your public official online identity to like Christian Bale because you know, he's had so many different roles over his career. We got a bunch of pictures depending on how much weight you lose or gain. We could we, we can make templates for days, but Bruce, Bruce Nolan method actor. Yeah, it works. There you go. <laughs> My man. Thank you so much. This was a great time. We'll do it again soon. Thanks a lot guys. All right. All right. That was Bruce Nolan from Buffalo Rumblings. Go follow him. He's awesome. Um, good friend of the show and Ryan Talbot final thought hit us with it.
0: Final thought, I, you know, big game. Bills can clinch a playoff spot for the second year in a row by defeating the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, this year along the way, I'll have an article out on it in the morning with all the scenarios, how likely each scenario is, but the Bills for the second straight up earth with a win against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Keep your eyes peeled on that game. Uh, but it all starts, actually, tomorrow night on Thursday Night Football with the overall playoff scenario.
2: For sure. That's been a fun one to watch. Um, All right. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. Do us a great favor. Go to your audio platform. We're so grateful that you guys watch us this live show. It's interactive. It's fun. The comments are great. Uh, We love it take that extra step go find us on google stitcher spotify apple all of the podcast platforms wherever you get yours subscribe that does a, a you know us a great service uh, leave a rating and review if you're feeling a little bit you know extra in the christmas spirit and we get get this thing pop and make, get it continue to grow it's grown so much and it, it's been awesome and, and we're very grateful Syracuse.com, newyorkupstate.com Get over there all week. we got a bunch of content from the uh, fallout from the 49ers game. We're going to start to transition into the week here. Tomorrow, the Bills practice at One Bills Drive. Today was a walkthrough. Tomorrow was a full practice. I will be there, and I will have coverage from that. We will see you on Friday night. We might have a guest. We might have a guest, Ryan, to preview the Steelers games. Three, three shows in five days. We are bringing it this week on the Shout Football Podcast. Have a great one, everyone.
3: Ready for football? Tops is. With ready-to-serve fan favorites, everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day.